Welcome to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley, and I am so glad to have you join us today. You know, our program always has a little bit of the element of surprise. You're never quite sure what we're going to do. Some days I'm teaching. Some days I'm interviewing experts. Some days we're providing testimonies to you of people who are applying God's financial principles in their lives. And some days we just give you some really good tips. Well, that's what we're going to do today. You may not be aware that we have another program called My Money Life that is a short feature. And that program contains almost all practical and spiritual tips in a real small bite-sized form. So today we're going to give you tips to increase your income, to help you to save money, and to lower your financial stress. Here's a little tip to start us off. Do you realize that you can actually save money by changing the font that you use before you print anything? Uh, This is according to a study done by Printer.com, and they found that you can save up to 31% on your ink cartridge cost by selecting a typeface that uses less ink. And that translates to $20 per year for someone who prints about 25 pages a week, That's $80 a year for business printers at roughly 250 pages per week. Now, it's interesting because I could not guess which font was the cheapest one to use when I print something. But here's the winner according to printer.com. The most cost-saving, efficient use of ink is to use the Century Gothic font. Number two was Echo font. Number three, probably the most popular, Times New Roman, and then Calibri, followed by Verdana. Now, it's interesting that all five of those fonts use less ink than the most commonly used font, Arial. And guess which one I use? Arial. I use Arial. So I found that to be very interesting. Uh, We do a lot of printing at home, and I usually get pretty aggravated by how much ink we go through. And so everybody in our house is going to start using Century Gothic to try to save on that ink. By the way, do you refill your ink cartridges, or, or do you go and buy the recycled ink? I've tried that, but I haven't had much success. If you've had any success at saving money on printer ink cartridges, would you let me know? Just go to crown.org and hit the Ask Chuck button and let me know how you save money on ink cartridges. It's a small expense for many of us, but it can certainly add up if you have children in the home who are printing a lot of school papers. Well, today we're going to be sharing more practical tips on improving your income, saving money, and lowering your financial stress. You're listening to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. A successful business in a challenging economy takes more than hard work and a business degree. It takes wisdom, the kind of wisdom that can only come from the time-proven principles of leadership, decision-making, and people skills found in the Bible. Authored by financial expert Larry Burkett, Business by the Book provides a step-by-step outline from God's Word on topics such as hiring, borrowing and lending, tithing on business income, and much more. Whether you're a startup, an established firm, or you work for someone else, Business by the Book will coach you through important decisions and guide you with wisdom from God's Word. To purchase your copy of Business by the Book or to learn more about other business tools and resources, go to crown.org. That's crown.org. Or call us at 1-800-722-1976. Begin building a biblical foundation for business success today.
Welcome back to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. Today we're sharing tips to help you improve your income, save more money, and lower your financial stress. Here's a tip to improve your income. Stay current with technology, especially with the technology within the field of your career choice. And if you're on the other side of 40 or maybe even 35, there are a lot of workers out there who are very much up to speed with technology. And it won't be long till you feel like you're falling behind. And according to a recent Money Magazine article, they recommend that you do all that you can to keep up with the changing landscape in the high-tech world. For instance, if you're not a part of social networking, it's important that you at least understand what it is. What is a Twitter account? What is Facebook? What is LinkedIn? And if at all possible, learn how to use those services so that you understand what other people in your career field may be talking about. Uh, Also, if you don't use email, instant messaging, or texting, you need to learn how to use those basic tools and to use them appropriately. For instance, we're in an era where younger people prefer to meet virtually and to have a very short agenda and possibly to call in or log on to attend a meeting as opposed to drive into an office. If you've never heard of Skype or you've never heard of podcasting, it would be very helpful to you to learn what those things are and to become proficient at using them. And I'll have to brag on my dad for just a moment. My dad is 77 years old, and I can tell you he's just as current as I am and probably most young people at understanding technology, and he doesn't misuse technology. He doesn't forward me all those cute little emails with funny animals or some little joke that everybody's passing around. When I get those from people, and I get plenty of them, oftentimes they're five years old. You know, they've been around forever. Somebody is obviously new on the web. They think there's some <laughs> some new little email to pass around. And I think to myself, maybe you've got too much time on your hands <laughs> to be looking these things up. So use technology appropriately. Now, here's another tip to improve your income. And this one sounds a little crazy, but it's actually backed by research. Uh, researchers have discovered that the human mind places different values on numbers. For instance, four has a higher intrinsic value than three. Now, you and I know that, but the studies show that the mind places an aesthetic value on numbers as well. This is according to a published article in Smart Money that the brain interprets round numbers with lots of zeros as being larger than numbers with precise values, even if the precise numbers are actually higher. So, for instance, the brain might interpret that 2,000 is higher than 2,136. So why is that relevant to how it can help you improve your income? Well, many of you need to sell your house. And if you're selling your house, according to this research, you obviously want to avoid listing your house using a big round number. Set a precise value for your home and it's likely to attract more buyers. Now, as crazy as it sounds, this is not a theory. Researchers looked at thousands of home sales in South Florida and Long Island, New York, where the sellers were getting less than their asking price. It turned out that houses originally listed at precise amounts sold for about three-quarters of 1% more than those listed with a big round number, and that equated to $1,875 on a sales price of $250,000. So that's money in your pocket. Here's another tip to improve your income. 
Did you get a big tax refund this year? If you filed back in April, most of you have probably received a refund by now, especially if you've filed electronically. I know we received our refund very quickly this year, contrary to the news reports that some states were going to hold back on refunding state income tax refunds. Uh, That didn't happen where I am, so we got a nice refund. Now, the reason I ask you that, unless your refund was based on receiving a great deal of tax credits, almost every penny of that refund represents an interest-free loan that you made to the U.S. government. What you did is you paid the loan to the government, let them keep it a year, and then ask them to give it back to you. Now, I don't think that's good stewardship. And God has entrusted those resources to you, and we can do a better job managing them. So if you're getting a big refund, you should adjust your withholding so that it comes as close as possible to zeroing out or maybe where you get just a little bit back in a refund every year. Now, here's a tip. Look at last year's tax return, your 2009 return. Assuming that you don't have any major changes in your income, adjust your withholdings so that you have 100% or just a little more of your tax liability from last year taken out again this year. Now, divide your tax bill into the number of pay periods and then adjust your W-2 to make sure that that amount is taken out each paycheck. Now, if you're confused about how to do it, just ask the IRS. They have a handy uh, withholding calculator at irs.gov that will help you determine how many deductions to take so that your withholding is close to your expected tax liability. And if you're confused by that, ask a pro, go to your accountant, and they'll help you to determine the right amount of deductions to take. The average refund in America is running about $2,400, and 76% of all tax filers receive a refund from the government. So we're all doing this. We're paying in more income tax than we should, and the average amount is around $200 a month. So if you need a boost in your income, it's one of the simplest, easiest ways to do it. And certainly don't get yourself in a financial bind by underpaying your taxes. I think it's better to be exact than if you err, slightly err on the side where you can anticipate a refund, but don't pay in too much. Now, here's another tip that will help you save money, and it's going to sound a little silly at first, but it actually will help you. Shop less often, and you will find yourself saving money. Now, I don't say that to be silly. Listen to this research from a firm called OnePoll.com. They found that the average woman spends 25,184 hours and 53 minutes, or nearly three years, shopping during an average lifetime. So that breaks down to a staggering total of about 400 hours or nearly 17 full days of shopping each year. And the number one item, clothing, food is number two. Those are the two most time-consuming shopping categories, according to their survey. And that's a lot of hours. Now, some of you are saying, well, I can't escape that. I've got to have clothes and I've got to have food. That's true. But if you simply exercise some discipline and say, I'm going to shop less often, I'm going to spend less time in the stores when I have to go shopping, or I'm going to stay out of the catalogs and the magazines and reading the ads less often, you'll actually find that you have fewer desires to buy things, and that will help you a great deal. Well, we've got to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to continue with some money-saving tips, as well as some ideas to help you reduce financial stress. You're listening to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley, and we'll be right back. 
Has your child outgrown a piggy bank, but not yet ready for a credit card? Well, there's something in between, a practical tool for anyone that you can use to teach teenagers and college students how to handle money wisely before they face greater financial decisions. It's the Cash Organizer from Crown Financial Ministries. The Cash Organizer is a durable, expanding file that's not much bigger than a checkbook. It's designed to create a convenient way to practice envelope budgeting, the proven way to keep from spending more than you make. With the Cash Organizer, when an envelope is empty, you can't spend any more money until you earn more money. It'll not only help your teenager or college student take control of their cash, but will also develop money management habits that'll prepare them for a lifetime. You can order the Cash Organizer online at crown.org or by calling 1-800-722-1976. That's 1-800-722-1976 or crown.org. Welcome back to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. Today I'm providing some tips to help you increase your income, to learn to save more money, and to reduce your financial stress. And I thought I might share a personal practice of mine when it comes to making a decision about major purchases. Now, most of you know that women do a higher volume of shopping, but men sometimes do the most damage when it comes to shopping because guys like to buy the big ticket items. I had one spouse write to me one time and said about her husband, if it has four wheel drive, camouflage or gunpowder, my husband is a sucker to buy whatever it is. And obviously they weren't on the same page when it came to his spending habits. But men do make big mistakes. Sometimes we just decide far too quickly to make a decision that can put the family in a financial bind, and then you're stuck with it. It's very hard to give back a boat once you've made a commitment to the bank to pay it, and the market disappears for big, luxurious boats. So we make those kind of mistakes. So to avoid it, and I've done that myself, to avoid it, I've set up a process where I'm very, very slow to make major purchases. Now, I don't shop very often, and I don't really enjoy shopping. But I know myself that I can get compulsive and I can get real sure of myself sometimes when I'm not sure of myself. So to guard against that, here's what I do. When I've decided that we're going to make a major purchase, that it's got to happen, I begin to research it and to do some comparison shopping. So that way I know what I'm talking about when I do an evaluation, whether it's a car or a house uh, or it may be some other major expense like college tuition. And there's a certain level of comfort that comes from researching. I'm getting informed. I'm calming down. I'm starting to use logic and not just emotion. And I feel as if I'm being equipped to make a wise choice. And I'll go very, very slow until I feel confident that I'm pretty well informed. And let me give you an example to back that up. I drove the same car for 17 years. I researched what I thought I might want to buy for over two years. So, so you get the picture. I can really go slow. And over that two-year period, I had a really good idea of the kind of gas mileage I was looking for, the kind of functionality I needed when I purchased a car. And I'm talking about buying a used car at that. I also knew where I thought I could find the car that I was looking for when it came time to buy. The second thing I do is I make a decision about this major purchase, and then I seek wise counsel or input from other people. I have found that to be invaluable. 
Many times they see something that you don't. Many times they have input that you've never even thought about. Or maybe they've already purchased that item, and they can tell you from actual experience that it's not going to work out just as well as you think it may work out. I remember before we bought our house here in Georgia, we drove through the neighborhood. I got out of the car and walked around and introduced myself to some of the neighbors, and I wanted to meet them and seek their counsel and input. Our next-door neighbor still jokes the day that he met me. I asked him if it was a good neighborhood, and he here we are eight years later, and he says, well, what do you think? Was I right? Is this a good neighborhood? I'm your neighbor. How's it working out for you? And we laugh about that, but I wanted to know how many children were in the neighborhood. Did they get along? Was the homeowners association agreeable? Those kind of things because I knew it was a major, major decision. So that really helps you to take your time. Here's the third thing. The third step, after you've done your research, after you've sought wise counsel, is to learn to wait. I know our late co-founder Larry Burkett used to say he had a 30-day rule. If he was going to make a major purchase, he would always wait at least 30 days to decide, did I really need that or did I just want it at the time? Try to recognize when you're convincing yourself that you simply just want the latest gadget because it's new and maybe the advertising has planted an idea in your mind that you're following up on. Here's the fourth step. After you've done your research, after you've sought wise counsel, and you've waited for a season to calm down, to sort of test to see if it's really a want or an actual need, then pray and ask the Lord to help you discern His will. Now, I know this sounds laborious, but think about how much money you can save if we use this method. Just recently, I learned from a great speaker named Marva Dawn. When she's faced with a decision and can't make up her mind, she calls together a council of people that she trusts that she knows are not going to just automatically agree with her, and she allows them to ask her hard questions. And after a series of hard questions, she asks the group, what do they think? What did they hear or see or sense? Now, can you imagine doing that before you decided to purchase your next house? If you followed these four steps, you would probably make a very good decision and avoid any type of trap that you may be walking into. And if you've gone through these four steps and you still don't know, then I would recommend that you practice fasting in order to get clarity from the Lord. Many times when we fast and we deny ourselves and we truly cast our will before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord will make it absolutely clear. A friend of mine told me a story of using this method when his oldest son asked him if they could buy a grand piano. And he originally said no, but he said, let's follow this process and wait on the Lord. And after a period of time of researching, of seeking counsel and waiting, he got a call from a friend who said, the Lord put it on my heart that I no longer need this beautiful grand piano in our living room. Can we store it in your house indefinitely? And as it turned out, by waiting on the Lord, he didn't even have to purchase it. And that piano still sits in his room because he waited on the Lord to provide. And he was able to save thousands of dollars and show his children the faithfulness of God's kindness and generosity. Well, when we come back, I'm going to share with you some tips on reducing your financial stress. You're listening to Money Life. We'll be right back.
It's unlike anything you've ever experienced. Crown Financial Ministries is proud to introduce God Provides, a new film learning experience featuring Golden Globe nominee Dean Jones. What if God told me to do something I did not understand? Through epic storytelling, this series of six short films presents timeless illustrations of God's never-failing ability to provide for His people. See the hand of God at work in engaging biblical stories that remain true even today in making life decisions. With each film, you'll receive a companion guide with discussion questions and activities to use with your family or a group. God Provides is available now at crown.org or by calling 1-800-722-1976. To learn more about the films, visit crown.org forward slash God Provides. Welcome back to Money Life. I'm Chuck Bentley. Today I'm sharing with you some practical tips to increase your income, save more money, and to lower your financial stress. And I'm going to give you one final tip, and it really is the cornerstone issue to help you lower your financial stress. And I hope you've stayed tuned just to hear this tip. Here it is. Orient your life with a goal to become a generous giver. In other words, make your financial priority that of giving and not receiving, that of being generous and not stingy. Most of the time when we think of financial goals that reduce our stress, we begin to think about hoarding money because we falsely associate security and peace and contentment with how much we have. But that's not where true peace and contentment comes from. That's a lie that you have to reject. Peace and contentment comes from becoming a giver. Now, how do you become a giver? If you're listening to me right now and you say in your heart, I'm not nearly as generous as I should be. Maybe you fall into the national average of about 2.5% of your gross annual income to charitable giving. Maybe you fall into that category and you want to do more, but you can't because you're in financial bondage. Well, the first decision you need to make is to spend less than you earn. That's a pretty simple step that will reduce financial stress, create margin so that you have more income than outgo, and you can begin to start giving more away. The second step would be to get out of debt. The number one expense item in the American budget is not the house payment. It's interest payments on the house. Interest payments are the number one expense. Just imagine if you had no debt, including your house, how much more you could give because you've eliminated the cost of borrowing money. And then finally, if you want to orient your life to become a giver, you have to save for the future. And if you do those three things, spend less than you earn, get out of debt and save for the future, you can become more generous. More debt in your life will simply multiply stress. More out-of-control spending will multiply your stress. But if you will learn to give, your stress will not only go away, it will be replaced with incredible deep joy in your life. And it will cause you to want to experience more of that joy, and you will stay motivated to live within your means so that God can use you to bless other people. And the best way that I could recommend for you to do that is to pick up a copy of the Money Map 
and start on this journey to get to true financial freedom. Invest in your future by getting this simple tool in your hands and allowing this program to encourage you every day and to stay on that journey so that you can get rid of financial stress. Well, I hope this program has been helpful to you. Thank you for partnering with us financially. I love you. Look forward to being back with you again next time.